Have you heard of Anchor? It's free and it's so easy. If I can figure it out, pretty much anyone can. Create your own podcast from your phone or any device and they will distribute it across Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms on your behalf without you having to do a thing. You can also make money without any minimum listenership or any required audience. Anchor is super easy to use, and all you have to do is download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm. Start your own podcast today. You're listening to Your Highness Podcast with Diana Crash, founder of Good Vibes Marketing. Good Vibes Marketing provides organic content and marketing solutions to the cannabis space. And this is Leah, co-founder of BakeSmart. Our can of cows are the first edible safety designs for cannabis-infused foods. Anyone from your child to your grandmother will understand when a food is medicated as long as it's marked with our edible green crosses. So, Leah, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? How's that baby? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's amazing it's just that he's not feeling super great so you might hear some grumbles because he's co-hosting today with us so um it's not all it's not an all he sounds pretty happy right now <laughs> he sounds happy to be the co-host i hear some little gurgling a little cooing oh if only i wish <laughs> i wish that's all it took um so let's get on to some some fun discussions. Uh, we have our favorite discoveries that we like to go over every episode. Um, and they're not always new discoveries. Sometimes we just rediscovered something that we already liked, right? <laughs> oh, that's so true. Like, especially me. I'm all about regurgitating my, my likes because when I like something, I like it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I apparently change my mind a lot with what I like. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm agreeing with you. I, I, <laughs> I like to experience new things. I like options. Um, anyway, so that is perfect for me. Uh, bah, 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 what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> it's perfect for my favorite thing as far as options are concerned. It's what I was trying to say. I was trying to tie the option thing into this, but it just didn't. I'm not clever enough today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my brain is about half on today. Um, so too much rain anyway. and mommy brain, mommy yeah, brain. Mommy don't forget that. It's rain. a real thing. <laughs> um, so my favorite discovery is the field collection and it's, um, a, a series of products that are like micro dosed for specific, uh, feels, you know, they have feel energized, feel dreamy, feel comfort and their ratios are like one to one, two to one, 10 to one. So it's a very easy way to kind of get into the, um, you know, get into products if you're not into them already because they have essential oils and they have um, capsules. So it's like easy ways to consume, you know, nothing that you have to get out like a whole rig or anything like that for you can just pop one in or drop a drop in your under your tongue and you're good to go and that's how I like to operate so <laughs> oh, easy, easy. Easy, yeah easy easy doesn't require any equipment that I can break and uh I like the essential oil element and um their packaging is amazing and I 
think that's enough of me ranting on about them. <laughs> What's your I love it though. I love it though that companies are elevating their packaging because it's it's so nice. You know, you want to buy something and feel really good about it, and packaging does that, right? Like, look, you feel really good. You open it up. And I mean, like, unless oh, I it's like this. a lot of extra plastic, and then you're like, "Why am I killing?" We the don't environment? like that. We don't like that. But just aesthetically pleasing, I always like that. Well, yes, I, I know like you to... do. You're big on the aesthetic. <laughs> I, I so am. <laughs> so speaking of aesthetic, um, this is one of the reasons why I like my new favorite thing, and it's the Cannabis Cooking Magazine. So it's a fully digital magazine. It hasn't been released just yet. They're coming out uh, this fall, actually, so probably next month. But it's CannabisCookingMagazine.com, super simple. But what I love about them is, one, their aesthetic. Okay, you know how I love that? It's Mm -hmm. the pictures they're using are really pretty. Um, What they're going to be talking about is something that's really needed in this industry. You know, for all of the regular cooks out there, you know, I'm sure, I don't know if anybody reads Cooking Magazine. I love that magazine because it's got nice pictures and nice recipes. And that's what this reminds me of. It's going to be just a very nice um, way to learn how to cook with cannabis and to learn what experts are saying about uh, the culinary ideas that are coming out. And then also they're going to be talking about, you know, culinary exploration. A lot of people are doing different things like, you know, beef jerky, cannabis, beef jerky and cannabis dried fruit and things like that. And, and just about how you can responsibly incorporate cannabis into your food making process. And they're all about microdosing too. That's their big thing. And of course that's our big thing too. We feel like that's really the future. So I'm, 100% behind this magazine. I can't wait for it to come out. I'm super excited. And I really hope all of our listeners go check out their, um, their website and sign up for their magazine. So you're one of the first to get it when it comes out, because you'll see from the pictures and from what they're talking about, it's going to be a really great kind of, um, revolutionary cooking magazine for the industry. Awesome. So that's my favorite thing. I can't wait to check them out. I know me either. Cause I love to cook. So same here. I mean, I like recipes. I like to look at recipes. <laughs> I'm a hoarder when it comes to recipes. I like had to give away. I literally gave away five banker boxes worth of cookbooks when I moved here. Oh. I am such a freaking collector. I guess that's better than hoarder of cookbooks. But I still have a lot. I mean, I gave away five boxes and I still could give away more. Yeah. I know. I love it. I love cooking and cannabis goes with everything. So I'm really excited for this. Yeah, it does. It absolutely does. Um, <laughs> I'm just thinking about your your beautiful little scones that you made. Like you, oh, so yeah. I should, yeah. If I made, them, I love my blocks, scones. It just had like no. It's of- very easy to make scones. <laughs> I know, and and you know what I love too because we have a grow, so you can take like the popcorn mm-hmm. from the grow and dehydrate it in the oven and then use it on salads use it like an herb like a dried herb oh man it's so great it's such a clean clean uh feeling Hmm. when it hits you it's i just love it i should i should sell that because it's amazing you should totally (laughs) one more product (laughs) (laughs) yeah you you don't need any free time no, I do not. <laughs> uh, so our topic today is the importance of advocacy um, as an entrepreneur in this space, uh, because anyone with, um, you know, a couple days on this earth would know. I'm kidding. I shouldn't say a couple days. <laughs> anyone who knows a little bit about cannabis is aware of the many, many, many 
issues surrounding it. Um, like there are a lot of legal issues and societal and um, health. And I mean, there's, it affects so many layers of life, I feel. Um, and there's, and it has such oh, a definitely. strong history. Um, the war on drugs has done so, so much harm. And there's a lot to consider is what the point is. And there's a lot to advocate uh did I say that correctly? Advocate? For? Yeah. Advocate, advocate, advocate for. for. I feel like I'm saying it incorrectly. Advocate. There's a <laughs> lot to advocate for. You can be an advocate. An advocate and advocate. Those are that's what I'm so <laughs> <laughs> Um so with with my rambling, I hope that people are understanding what I'm trying to say here is that you should be if you're involved as an entrepreneur in this industry, you should be involved in some type of cause. If it, it, I feel like if you're not, then you're not really in it for the quote unquote right reasons. Um, and I don't think I'm in the minority there, but <laughs> that being said, no. I think there are a lot of different causes and everyone has one that they connect to, you know, not everybody is going to care about the same thing. Right. Definitely. I think we're all in here. I think that the one thing we all have in common is there was one thing that brought us here, one big thing mm -hmm. in our life that brought us here. Either you were sick, and so maybe you want to advocate for you know um, having doctors prescribe cannabis. I mean, it's yeah. still still a problem, even in legal states, it's still a problem. Um, you know, or maybe incarceration is your gig. You know, maybe you know someone who's incarcerated. Even if you don't know personally someone who's incarcerated, we hear stories all the time about the guy who's been in prison for nine years for two joints. It's, mm -hmm. it's horrible. And we've got to change that or whatever it is. I mean, even legalization in your, in your state, maybe you want and need cannabis to be legal in your state. Or maybe Make that your labeling and, and responsible. Yeah, labeling and packaging, microdosing, or whatever that is. There's so many different causes out there. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one of the, the main ones that we can all agree on, I feel, no matter what side of the fence you sit on, um, if you're in this industry, I think, and we talked about this at length, um, is research. We need more research. and. Right. Um, I think I think all the advocacy groups would agree with that. <laughs> Definitely, because we can't progress unless we have more research. And as you and I have talked about, the research is changing all the time. I mean, what we thought to be true just a couple of years ago mm -hmm. is no longer true. Absolutely, um, and and for the and for the better too. I mean, it's it's all for the better. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, let's not get too excited. <laughs> There's our personal. I know you're a pessimist, and I'm an optimist. So I say, <laughs> well, I'll try to be hopeful for um, for my new generation's sake. You know, this, for my offspring that is sitting next to me. But um, <laughs> right, I just hope that, that we positive. all do. Yeah, I hope this all goes in the right direction. But uh, the point, our our takeaway, the tip that we that I, I went away from is find a cause, you know, find something that you connect with. Um, and, and that can help you in so many ways, which we're going to get into. Um, so the second tip or takeaway, um, observation, <laughs> <laughs> however you want to word it, right. Uh, Advice. <laughs> yes. It's, uh, find an advocacy group you resonate with to help your, keep your focus, um, why you're in the industry to begin with 
like we were just talking about, we all have our reasons for being in this industry it, and, and they're all different for the most part. You know, they all, we all have our individual story for why we came to this space. Um, and there's a group that supports that story. Absolutely. You know, there's groups all over the place. In fact, you have a link to a list of groups, right? I do. Um, I do. Thanks for calling me out for forgetting to. <laughs> <laughs> no, we hadn't even gotten to it. Okay. So it's never too late. <laughs> uh, there is a, we'll, we'll put this link in the recap um, or at least in the promotion, right? Right. This link is Cash and Biz, which um, I guess is a publication, cannabis publication, and it's the top cannabis industry advocacy groups. And it's not saying that you have to, you know, this is this article is rather old, so it's not like you have to go buy this. It's not like these are the only ones to care about, but it's a good place to start. You know, um, you it's have, a great place to start. Yeah, know, National Cannabis Industry Association, the Drug Policy, the Marijuana. Yeah, Marijuana Policy Project, I think, is on there. But we've had some great people on this uh, podcast, even. Um, Roz McCarthy of the uh, Minorities for Medical Marijuana group. Right. Um, you know, you've got... Um, I know I'm blanking right now. Uh, who else do we have here? Well, anyway, there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot out there. I mean, we have even just uh, like Tokativity is a good place to start because they're not necessarily an advocacy, advocacy group, but there are a lot of advocates in the group of Tokativity, I'd say, um, that can help you kind of right. find a direction, you know, um, and that kind of goes into like finding like-minded people, which is our next um, our next takeaway is that advocacy can be a great opportunity to network with like-minded people. And I, you can speak to this more than I can, because you've been to a lot more events than I have. Yeah, I have. I mean, I, I actually am privileged to be able to be an illegal state. And so there's a lot more groups. Sometimes it's hard to find like, which group do you really want to belong to? There are so many. So I just suggest most of these groups, you can go to the first meeting for free and just go meet some people, see if you resonate, because that's a lot of it too. It's like you go to these and you want to meet like-minded people, even though it might be the cause that you're behind, you might go and go, yeah, I'm not really liking what they're saying or how they're doing it. So mm -hmm. just keep trying. One group isn't the representation of all groups, right? So yeah. just try and find out who you resonate with and um, make friends and hang out after, outside of the meetings too. I, I've met so many great people. Um, it's now defunct, but back when I first moved here, there was the uh, Oregon Responsible Edibles Committee. And it was great because I met all kinds of different edible companies and we were all kind of fighting for the same cause when it came to the rules that were being made. And that's a really great way for you to effectuate change wherever you are. It's like, be it legalization, or if you're in a legal state and they're making rules about packaging, or they're making rules about marking edibles or whatever that may be, add your voice to what's being said. Because a lot of people think, oh, well, somebody else is already talking about it. So, or you're at these meetings and you see like, you know, there's always the key players and you think, oh, well, somebody's already doing it. it you know what? They need your voice. They need the numbers. So always speak up, always offer to go to lobbying days. That's I did that one time and it was the best experience ever to actually see how the whole process works with lawmaking and how you can actually make a change. We actually changed by going to this lobby day. 
we actually changed what was going to be happening as far as taxes. Um, the government, the Oregon state government was going to start imposing this uh, tax that was going to be close to 25%. And that was going to take it up from, I think, 17%. And we were all there saying, look, you can't do that. We're, we're in a depressed state, one. And two, companies are already struggling. Dispensaries are struggling. And so they heard our voices and they actually stopped that bill from happening. So, I mean, you think you're maybe just going to just like, oh, hey, talk, and maybe you're not going to get heard. You're always heard. And it's really important to just keep speaking out. That was such a great like example of that because I never would have thought that would have happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I can't wait to be a part of something like that. I, n- I definitely want to go to the next lobby day um, in D.C., but, yeah, those are huge. Yeah. Those are huge. Yeah. Um, I mean, and you might you not know, even be able to start that way. You might have to just go to like a yoga class or something like that because maybe it's well, meeting other mothers or parents, right. you know, who maybe that's your cause. Maybe you're in it because you're a parent of a child who needs this plant. Um, so you need to find some kind of connection and, and you need to go to like a yoga class or something like that. You know, there, there's so many different ways I feel Well, you know, and if you, I know that NCIA does lobbying days. And so like, like you were saying, you want to be a part of that. Look for companies like for us, Bake Smart is an NCIA member. Mm -hmm. I couldn't go to the lobby day, but maybe somebody else wants to go in my place. And then you get discounted tickets and you get, you know, freebies and they make it really easy for you to join in. So look for a company maybe that you support and say, Hey, I see you're an NCIA member and are you going to go to the lobby days? And if not, maybe I could go and represent you. There's lots of ways to do this. Um, but find an event that you were really interested in going and figure out how you can get there or volunteer at the event too. That's another great way mm-hmm. to get in with these bigger groups. Like let's say it's a huge, you know, organizational thing, like what NCIA does, or maybe it's BDS or whoever it is. And just say, Hey, maybe I could volunteer. Maybe I could help you in some other way. It's, nothing is too small or too big. You know, we're all in this together. And I, and that's why I love this industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think we kind of muddled two and three together because it's basically find a group that you resonate with. It it helps you keep your focus on why you're in this industry to begin with. Um, And that number three is advocacy can be a great way to network with like minded people. Um, And that kind of goes two different ways. You know, I I think it's like a double edged sword um, because uh, you can also you can build some really important relationships that that you make you feel supported as a patient, as a consumer, as a parent. How, however, you're in this industry, or and mm-hmm. it can also you know build up your business if you're as an entrepreneur in this industry. That's the other benefit to being out there and doing the work and meeting the people and finding out what the issues are. Is you know you build up your name. People know who you are. They recognize you. They're more likely to refer you down the line. Um, I mean, obviously, that's not the real the reason why you want to get into advocacy. No, but it, but it, but it is. You know, that's that's an important point, though. Mm-hmm. It's a fringe benefit of of being involved, but it's also you know not it shouldn't be the driving force, obviously. But it's just something that we should all consider because it is it's the truth. It does help. Hmm. Well, I mean. 
it helps you, but you're also helping other people too. You know, you find out what people are doing and you're like, oh, wow. Like for us, we meet people and um, when we're out at these industry events and we're like, oh my gosh, I love what you're doing. And, and you help promote them. They help promote you. I mean, there's a lot of give and take here and networking can be beneficial for everybody involved. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just like you're using it to your own benefit. That's Um, That's true you're benefiting others too, because you're finding out what other people are doing. And you're like, wow, I really support that. And I'd love to, you know, like, well, like with me and Ashley Piccolo, um, you know, the author of Breaking the Grass Ceiling, I met her. She's amazing. Um, I got her book, read it, just thought it was amazing. And I've purchased a bunch of copies for friends. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's something that, you know, that, and it's that networking thing, go out, meet somebody and go get out of your comfort zone. That's the biggest thing, you know, networking is hard. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it is a great book. And, and it's all about networking in that book too. And women talk about how there really isn't competition. And I like that too, because, you know, when you're networking, there isn't any competition. Maybe someone is farther along in the game, but we're all in here. There's plenty of money. There's plenty of room for all of us to be in this space. And I think that that's another thing that with networking, that's what that brings to you. It's like, you realize, you know what, they're doing the same thing as me, but they're kind of doing it differently. And I'm speaking my truth. They're speaking their truth. And there's no reason you can't help promote each other. Maybe, you know, of a client that isn't going to work for you, but might work for this other person. Mm-hmm. And that's another, you know, bonus of networking. And that's what advocacy can bring to you. It, it's really going to bring um, more positives to you in a lot of different ways. And I think that puts us into our next, our next uh, point, Mm -hmm. which is you can become a better business owner. And I think that that's, that's just like a natural flow of things too. When you're networking, when you're speaking, when you're supporting something, it actually helps you and your own business to start speaking your truth and start selling what you're doing. And, you know, you're kind of looking at these people almost like mentors too. They're further along than you are. Mm -hmm. And I think that if, if you're, you know, advocate, if, if you're in some type of advocacy group, um, then you're going to start to learn things that you didn't know about before. Like, I know that sounds obvious, but (laughs) what I mean is that, you know, you hear people's stories and you think, oh, wow, I didn't Mm -hmm. consider that someone, you know, would be penalized so harshly just because, you know, they're Spanish and I'm not, or whatever the thing is. And then you think, well, wait a minute am I also doing this behavior? Am I perpetuating it somehow as a business owner? Am I as inclusive as I can be as a business owner? Because that is such a big part of this industry. It needs to be a different industry in that way. We need to be more inclusive and um, it has to be an, an opportunity for uh, minorities to get their their foothold and not only just foothold but to be in the forefront and and to be pioneers and we need to put them first because all right uh, uh, this the war on drugs has done so much damage to generations and generations of people of color and and their communities that like you can't ignore that fact if you're in this industry so i think that if you're looking at advocacy that that you know talks about these issues to even a even a little bit even if they only broach the topics you're going to learn something and I think your viewpoint will change as a business owner maybe hopefully your practices will I think we all need to evolve you know we need to evolve with the times obviously but we all we can kind of change and and 
and shape what we're doing with we hear other people's stories and see these things that are happening in real life you know right well even just like um you listen to the mothers who can't get medication for their children mm-hmm. um and their children are sick you know and maybe you have a business that has cbd products and you can donate to mm-hmm. them um you know by doing that you you're actually helping someone but then actually you're putting your name out there that you are a company that gives back and you are a company that cares and that's all really beneficial for you because a lot of people especially as we get further into legalization people are going to start looking for companies that have a cause that they care about so that's another way that advocacy can help you um, as a business owner and giving back i mean the studies show giving back makes you a happy happier person. So you can have money, you can have success, but people who don't give back aren't as happy as people who actually are philanthropists and who give back to causes or who give their time or, um, and that's another thing that advocacy can help you with. You'll be happier, be an advocate because you're helping people. And I mean, I know for me personally, that is something that I get out of it. You know, right now I make um, CBD oil for a dog rescue in California and it's helping so many dogs and I feel so great about it. Mm -hmm. It's just a wonderful thing when you're giving back. Um, I'm doing absolutely nothing and it makes me feel horrible. (laughs) That's because you're a new mother. You're a new mother and you're you're raising a new little uh, cannabis advocate. (laughs) I mean, you really can't expect too much out of yourself. You just had a baby. I think you can pump the brakes. Slow down. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? It's like you don't even know what that means. Right. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, do whatever you can. And and it doesn't mean that you have to, you know, make oils and things like that. Though it's awesome that you're doing that, by the way. Um, (laughs) And I'm sure all those dogs are so much happier because of you. They are so much. It's in its little pit bulls too. And you know how much I love my proximity to you makes me feel better about myself. How about that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. That's my, by proxy. I know you. Um, (laughs) No, but there, there are some really great groups out there. And um, like I mentioned before, um, minorities for medical marijuana is a really good place to start if that's one of your um one of your concerns which it should be because i i know i just went off on a whole thing but i have a lot more to say about it and i'm not going to right now yeah we're gonna we're gonna go back to pumping the brakes again and uh because we don't want to get you started on your whole i'm just gonna say to go on to minorities for the number four medical marijuana.org um, because that is a really good place to start. Um, or, or veterans too. Yeah. Veterans cannabis well, group they, is another one. Have, so, and they, they, t- they actually deal with the, I know there's so many different, there's so many things. Um, and it also depends on where you are. Obviously there's some that are more local, uh, you know, but, um, the point being is that there are, there are so many things to be involved in. There's so many groups. There's, there's no lack of area for you to get involved in. No doubt. No, no doubt. That doesn't make sense. There's no lack of well, uh, concern, uh, cause. I cause. There's no lack of causes. <laughs> there's no lack of causes. Yeah. <laughs> get concerned people. It's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Um, and especially as an entrepreneur, because if you're going to, you know, work in this industry, then you have to know about what's going on and, and right. at least a little bit, you know, and you have to be concerned with, you've got to stay informed. You do. And, and it, 
for all the reasons that we said, and, and I'm sure there's more that we didn't even cover, but um, just, you know, do a Google search, do a simple Google search, or just, you know, send us a, if you don't know where to get started, I'm sure nobody has this issue, but <laughs> if, if you want to send us an email at your highness podcast at gmail.com and um, we can send you some really great links and introduce you to some people, even if, depending on what you're looking Definitely. For. Because, because, you know, as we end this advocacy helps to effectuate change. That's how this industry started. Mm -hmm that people started to be advocates for the marijuana plant mm -hmm. and for, for and all of these medical, exactly. All of these medical patients whose backs were standing on, they all started with this and it was very, very, very unpopular when they started mm -hmm. it. Um, you know, I mean, and that goes back to the being incarcerated, being ostracized. I mean, people went through a lot to get us where we are today and we owe it to them to do a lot now mm -hmm. for the next generation. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Little Grant. That's what I'm saying. We want Grant to stand on our backs. Yeah, be the, be the next president. <laughs> <laughs> well, he can be, at least in America, you know? <laughs> anyway, um, so I think that was a pretty good list. And I think we went on a lot. I do, too. We have some amazing do you want to just do a recap so sure. people know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so number one is find a cause. Um, Number two is find an advocacy group. You resonate with, you resonate, you resonate. <laughs> don't, don't resign. Uh, resonate with, to help you keep your focus, keep your eye on the prize. Um, That's right. Number three is advocacy can be a great opportunity to network with like-minded people. Number four, being an advocate can make you a better business owner and a happier person. And number five, advocacy helps to effectuate change. It's how the industry started. So, yeah. Very nice. <laughs> we could talk about this for hours. I mean, I mean sadly, we, we could just go so on and on and on. And on. Hours, oh, so. my God. Yeah. So we have to stop because yeah, we have everybody to the other is listening. Yeah. Right. Our like, interviews. Okay, yeah. We have some really great <laughs> interviews on this one, so let's let those shine. Um, and until next time, I would like to thank all the women out there doing what they're doing and um, being brave and sharing their stories. And oh, right, you know, and, and just doing what they're doing yeah. and trying to to elevate this industry. And women, we can definitely do that. I mean, we have the power to bring this industry into mainstream and make it a different where everyone supports us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Change yeah. the narrative. That's what we do. Yeah, let's do that. And um, if you would like to show your support, uh, we have a new Instagram account. So I will get you that information. <laughs> I think it's just your highness. If you look for your highness, all one word, uh, your highness podcast, you're going to find it. Yeah. Same thing with our uh, Twitter. If you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at your highness podcast. So uh, reach out to us. Let us know what you think, what you like, what you don't like. Um, and leave reviews. Yeah. We need reviews. Yes. On iTunes. That would be awesome. If we could get some reviews yes. or Podbean even. Uh, Podbean, wherever you wherever you listen to us, leave us a review because even if you just are like, oh my god, they are so grating. Yeah, say it because we we before. can change. 
<laughs> well, we want to change. We want to make it better. And we want to hear what you want. Right. We want to hear the topics that you want to hear. And um, right now, you know, we're, we're doing what we think people want to hear. But hey, we'd love to hear from all of you. And pretty soon we're going to be doing giveaways. Mm -hmm. If you leave a review, we'll give you something, a nice little treat. I think so. I think a really nice treat. I'd like to have some. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and we have some other exciting things coming up in the future. So uh, we would love your input if you feel the you know the need to, to reach out or just the just let us know. We're we're not sensitive. <laughs> Most of them. not at all. <laughs> not at all. Yeah. We can take criticism, yeah. but you know what? If you love it, we would love to hear that too. Hey, yeah. Um, Why not? That always that fuels us, right? It definitely does. It definitely does. Well. Diana, I'm going to go. I'm going to let you get back to that baby because he does not sound happy. No, he's not. All right. <laughs> All right. Until Thank next you. time. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Smoke Cartel is the world's favorite online head shop, offering the best selection in glass bongs, vaporizers, dab rigs, hand pipes, torches, and other smoking accessories, as well as lifestyle swag for you and your pet. A public company Smoke Cartel is traded under the ticker SMKC. Visit smokecartel.com for amazing deals on your next favorite piece. That's smokecartel.com. Our first guest today is Ashley Pichillo. Ashley Pichillo is the founder and CEO of Point Seven Group, a woman-owned consulting firm with offices in Denver and Los Angeles, specializing in pre- and post-licensed cannabis consulting, facility design, and marketing. In 2018, Ashley founded TimberDocs, an online platform allowing cannabis operators to purchase compliance and operational templates needed to achieve or maintain state licensure. Ashley is also the author of Breaking the Grass Ceiling, Women, Weed, and Business, a biographical collection that has garnered national media and industry acclaim since being released at SXSW in 2017. So, Ashley, can you kind of share with our listeners what inspired you to create Point Seven Group and explain a little bit of what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So, Point Seven um, came about after I spent some time on the operational side of the industry. So, after moving to Colorado in early 2014, I had the privilege and opportunity to work for a large vertically integrated cannabis company based in Denver. So the role shifted a lot over the time that I was there. I started in marketing, um, eventually moving into wholesale and distribution, and then ending my time there overseeing all of the facilities operations. So while I was in that position, um, I just I had a lot of exposure, obviously, to the, the very distinct verticals um, within this space. And I, I started to put together the procedures, and I did a lot of the writing and development of of sort of how this company was was running. It was a company that had been around for a while. There was a lot of things um, that were happening, but not necessarily documented. And there was, you know, sort of a lack of procedure, which I think was very, very common for all companies at that point that had just started, where there's no sense necessarily in establishing procedures till you really know right. what you're even doing. So anyway, in that role, I, I did a lot of writing work and I started to realize that across the country you have these companies looking to um, go after competitive licenses in other states. And you also had a knowledge gap there. So the first state that I worked in outside of Colorado was Maryland. Um, and, in, and throughout that process, I realized that 
there were very few people who had hands-on experience in the space and also the ability to write about that experience and actually translate that into text. So that was sort of how Point Seven came to be. I realized that my strength on the writing side crossed with this ex- this crazy experience I had in in this facility. Um, you know, really teed me up well to help uh, consult these other groups. So I didn't exactly know where it was going to go when I started Point Seven, but I I recognized at least that um, places all over the country and even internationally were really looking to Colorado to, to understand what worked and what didn't work in that market being the first, you know, regulated um, adult use market in the country. Yeah, it really was a blueprint for all the other states and and even in different countries. So how do you get clients? How do people find out about you? Yeah, that's a great question. So my I started, I, I pivoted out of my full-time position um, at the end of 2015. They were actually one of my first clients after I did that. So I was really lucky and, and left off on great terms with them. 2016 was the first true full year in business. It was you know, pretty slow as, as many startups are. And then last year in 2017, things really started to take off. But what was interesting looking back, we didn't do any marketing last year. Um, aside from really printing some business cards and some postcards and obviously having a website, most all of the work that we, we did last year came in through referrals. And I think that speaks to the quality of what we produce and the way that we work with our clients. Um, so the company scaled pretty quickly towards the second half of last year. This year, we are doing more of a focused uh, marketing strategy. We use a lot of um, digital strategies. We're participating, obviously, in, in conferences and social media and you know print collateral and all that stuff. But um, I feel really lucky and grateful that the first two years were as successful as they were without you know, deploying a whole lot of capital or resources on the marketing side. I wouldn't necessarily recommend not having a a marketing strategy to a newcomer, but I think that um, more broadly, my advice there is, if, you know, if, if, as you're getting into this, relationships are are everything. And there were people that I'd stayed in touch with for years, and lunches, and uh, drinks, and meetings, and emails, and just checking in with them that eventually turned into referrals. And I. I didn't necessarily maintain those relationships hoping for that outcome. Um, But I think that that persistence and really building an actual rapport with people can go a long way. Well, I think that's a really good tip to give our listeners because in this industry, things can move really slowly. So those relationships are important, but it's also the relationships in this space are really what let people know who you are, like you experienced with the referrals. Once those relationships were so strong, a couple of years into it, they're like, definitely go to Ashley, which is great. Yep. So what, what are the, the post licensure operations? What, what happens then? So you get your license now, where do you come in and help? Great question. And that's exactly the question our clients are asking. So I guess to break it down when there's, there's, Every single state, city, county have a different licensing process. So some are much more competitive than others. And in competitive markets where the state or the city or the county is only going to issue a certain number of licenses, those applications really need to be uh, very detailed. It needs to incorporate you know, all of your plans, all of your business strategies, your financial plans, all of that. Um, so that's what we're doing on the licensing side. But what we've realized 
over the last year and a half, we've been very successful um, with our clients, getting them through licensing. And when they get to the other side, they're now looking at, you know, two things. One, a very aggressive timeline that they need to become operationally ready. And that timeline comes from the program or department that's overseeing the, the cannabis um, program in, in the area. Mm-hmm. And two, most of these applications are binding. So if you say in your application, you're going to, you know, hire 50% of your staff from the local area, or you're going to build a true state-of-the-art GMP certified manufacturing facility, you have to do that now because the license was issued to you on those on those terms. So right. what, we, what we typically do with groups that are recently licensed, we offer sort of a commitment um, scope of work where we look at what you've committed to on paper. We help you understand what that's going to look like from a cost perspective and from a timeline perspective. Um, and then we work with the group to actually deploy the application. So in with some clients, that's that means we've been on the ground working with builders and architects. Um, for other groups, it means we're helping them with career fairs and marketing strategy. So it, it really does vary from one group to the next. But um, our first step is really looking at what, what did you say you were going to do? Because now you have to go and do that. And I think that, you know, one thing that that sets us apart, I think, in, in the field of work that we're doing, we really, tr- we do not do boilerplate um, applications for our clients. We believe these documents really need to reflect your actual plan and your actual mm-hmm. business philosophy. Um, and if it doesn't, it's going to be really difficult for you to actually, you know, execute on a plan that you don't have a whole lot of heart and soul in. So that's really right. important to us that as we're building the application, our clients truly understand what it is they've agreed to do. Yeah. And it seems like there's like some built-in accountability too, which is, which is necessary when you're starting a a business, you can get lost. Yep. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about TimberDocs. That's a new company that you just started. Yeah. So Timber, Timber is interesting. Um, and I am almost, I'm going to basically be a hypocrite of what I've just said, but (laughs) So when we're doing competitive licensing work, like I said, it's very customized from one client to the next. But there are situations uh, across the country where people are really looking for, um, you know, SOPs and procedures they can follow. And the state is looking to see that the group understands you know, what the regulations are for that area. So we, we launched TimberDocs um, at the end of July, basically to meet the needs of customers and clients that don't necessarily need hands-on consulting from us, but are looking for proven procedures for different parts of their operation. So one example might be the steps that you'll take to actually sanitize a packaging room or the steps you'll take to package a product or the steps you'll take to issue uniforms for your employees and have them cleaned so that there's no cross-contamination risk or it's limited cross-contamination risk. So we these kinds of procedures that are not these are very much post licensure procedures mm-hmm. um, they're designed you know they're they're proven they've actually been deployed in real facilities they've been written by you know subject matter experts who have done these jobs um and so they're those can be purchased from timberdocs with a lot less input from our team so we've basically found a way to offer some of this, these content solutions to the masses 
um, at a much more affordable price point. That's amazing. I mean, for a small company just starting out and needing those kinds of documents, I mean, that's an amazing service. Thank you. Yeah, we're really excited about it. And it's been we're about a month in. We've had really great sales so far. We're very focused um, out of the gate in California. Our next big push will be for the Michigan market. And then from there, uh, we'll be releasing sort of our, our broader, more generic content. But, you know, we found that building these to make sure they actually comply to California law, where there's 10,000 groups that are going through this process, seems right. to do it. And, you know, to, to be honest, I mean, I, this is certainly a good business model for us. I'll be very candid about that. But um, in getting to know, you know, operators throughout the state of California, a lot of them are in, they're in a really tough place right now. They're not rolling around in cash the way people, you know, seem to think our industry. (laughs) Very, very few. There are those exceptions, but very few. Yeah. And I, I feel, you know, again, this, yes, it's a business. I'm, I'm not trying to hide behind that, but I think that, you know, I'm, I'm proud of this because I, it also solves an actual problem and it's a, it's a really strong solution for companies that are maybe not as well capitalized or have been pretty beaten down by the taxes and just um, the complexity of, of these new regulations coming in. So there's a lot of groups that, you know, we hope to, ha- to build a relationship with over the long term so that we can help them, you know, in a greater capacity. But um, these are truly, you know, this is a great solution if you're trying to get through your licensing process and you're, you have to decide if you're going to spend money this month on your staff, on your marketing budget, on your attorney and whatever. And, and I think this is a great way to get that done for groups that are really cash strapped. And that's, that's kind of an accurate picture of the state right now. I think there's a lot of, Oh Yeah. Definitely. I mean, we had uh, an edible company here in Oregon that we have since um, stopped. But I mean, this would have been huge for us if this would have been around two years ago. I think maybe we might still be in business because you do get bogged down in things that TimberDocs definitely solves. Um, so that's that's amazing. So where can people find more out more about um, Seven Point and about TimberDocs? Yeah, so TimberDocs, uh, the website is just TimberDocs, D-O-C-S, uh, com, or of course, anyone can email me as well, so I can circulate that around. And then Point7, our website is Point7Group.com, uh, and from Point7, you can get to Timber, from Timber, you can get to Point7, so they're they're definitely sister companies, they're very much you know aligned and anchored together, but um, our Timber team is really focused on on a larger group of cl- of customers versus point seven, where we really do kind of hands on hand holding consulting with our with our group. So we don't take more than a couple of clients in any market. Uh, we don't really like to compete against ourselves on the licensing side. So it's not uncommon for us to work with one group um, all the way from start to finish. So that's sort of the line between the two. But you can find them both on point seven group dot com. Well, both are an amazing service. So you have Point Seven. Now you have TimberDocs, and with all of this on your plate, you had time to write a book, "Breaking the Grass Ceiling," which I, I can give a personal recommendation. It is any woman that is in business, whether even in outside the cannabis space, read this book because it's so inspiring. So, can you uh, tell our listeners what was the impetus for you writing this book? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So. The, the book came to be because 
uh, in March of 2016, I attended South by Southwest in Austin. Um, and I, I was just blown away by the caliber of that event. At that point, I'd been in cannabis for a couple of years. Anyone who's in cannabis knows that when you're in the space, it's you kind of live and breathe it. It's something you're talking about all the time, you're thinking about all the time. And so going to South by Southwest, um, it really, it gave my brain sort of a break from, from the cannabis space in a good way, because I was, you know, looking at different inventions and listening to interesting music and seeing really out there films. And there's a business conference, obviously, within South by too. So anyway, I found the, the conference to be very eye-opening and a lot of the ideas that had nothing to do with cannabis that I was sort of exposed to. I, I was seeing all of these tiebacks to the cannabis industry. So before I left that event, I sort of mentally decided that I was going to submit a panel the following year and do everything under the sun possible to try and get a cannabis panel accepted to South by about women. Um, at that time, you know, South by Southwest is held in Austin. So Austin's a very liberal part of Texas, but it's still in Texas. And um, there really hadn't been a whole lot of focus on cannabis at South by prior. So it was kind of a, you know, I, th I thought it might be, might, might have a slim shot because it's really interesting. And South by is known for curating, um, you know, kind of unique content across a lot of different spectrums. So in any event, I started thinking about a good title for the panel and I, I kind of landed on breaking the grass ceiling and put together a, a, a pitch. I brought in a couple of awesome women um, to join me on the panel, Giada DeCarcer of New Frontier, Wanda James of Simply Pure, and Diane Sarkowski of Can Advisors. And um, each of them just lends so much and have such a different perspective on cannabis, but also had a lot of professional background before. So I think we had a really strong submittal. And in any event, we got accepted, which was amazing. And shortly after being accepted, uh, the woman I was in touch with at South by said, Hey, you know, if you have a book, you can put it in the South by bookstore. So that was around the end of November, uh, 2016. And I, the wheels kind of started turning and I thought, all right, maybe I can convert this panel, this concept into an actual book. Um, but I, I didn't have a lot of time. The book had to be printed and in their hands by February 1st. So I kind of kicked this around. Then I decided it was crazy. Absolutely no way. It was <laughs> um, and around the same time, I was reconnected with my my friend, Lauren. I, I've known Lauren since I was seven. And I kind of said, hey, this is this idea I have. This is the opportunity. This is the time frame. What do you think? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I think this can I think this can be done. So uh, we decided at that point, I thought, all right, I have a pretty good list of women that I know. Let's email 10. And if, if we can get some feedback from them that they're interested, that then, then I'll green light it. So I reached out to the first 10 women um, that I knew in the space who I thought represented different avenues and corners of the industry. And the response was just resounding yes. And, you know, each of these women really felt strongly that this this text needed to happen. So uh, around mid-December, I think we officially started on December 12th or 15th or some, somewhere around there, uh, we started doing these interviews. So it was it was quite the endeavor. People often ask why I picked the women that I did. Um, I think the women in there are tremendous, but 
there is also a, a reality side of it. They they were the ones that were were able to do this in a very aggressive time frame because all those interviews had to be done within about a ten day span. Um, so that left Lauren and I the the end of December and a couple weeks, about a week and a half, two weeks, I guess, in January to really put this together. And then we went off to print. So it was a juggling act of all juggling. Had you know designers working on one end and editors on another end, and then I self-published it through um, through Amazon, and the process was actually more more simple than I than I would have realized. So it was very fast, and I wouldn't recommend doing it <laughs> again. But when you have an opportunity to launch a book at South by Southwest, it's it's worth some sleepless nights, I think. Well, you must have had a ton to go to put this book together. And it is an amazing book. It's so well written. The stories are so inspirational. The strength of each and every one of these women. And, and I loved how you took women from different aspects of the industry. So there's someone from everything you could possibly think of. And all of these women, what inspired me about this was they all faced some type of adversity during their journey and and how they just overcame it. I mean, there were women who lost their businesses and they overcame it. And just women who had a lot of, you know, um, pushback and they overcame it. And it's it's such a great book. And I and just awe that you did this book in such a short amount of time, because I as I'm reading it, I keep thinking, oh, my God, she did this in 45 days. And it, it really looks like a book that took probably a couple years because of the way it's written. Thank you so much. That really means a lot. And yeah, I mean, it was it was very, very difficult to do that. And it was an enormous amount of work for both Lauren and myself. And you know, I think we're we've obviously gone back and read it a number of times. And there's probably things we would do differently and and phrase phrases we'd change and whatever. But overall, I think we're we're both really proud of how it came out, especially given that timeline. And um, it was interesting. One of the people ask a lot, like, why? well, why, why was there that timeline, which we talked about, but also like, how do you stay motivated through that? Right. Exactly. Exhausting. And I think you started to touch on this, but one of the themes that I certainly didn't expect, um, were about how these women were challenged because at the time that we were putting this together, I mean, the, the book, the last day of writing for Lauren and I was the day of the women's march in Colorado. I remember that vividly. Wow. Like like writing this and thinking like, oh man, I should be at this march. And I just kept telling myself, okay, this is, this is on the same plane. They're marching. You're writing a book about women. Like that's all, you know, it's all good. But I remember thinking what a sign of the times that we're releasing this text about women in cannabis at a time where women are really rising up in all of these other fields and just broadly across the country. And, you know, so I was really empowered by that. That was definitely um, inspiring. But in in putting this together and hearing all these stories, I was kind of shocked by how many women were actually losing their businesses in present time as the book was coming together. And there were a number of other women that are not included in the text um, solely because the scheduling was so nuts getting this going. But um, there are a number of other women who had lost their businesses already. And and the way that this had happened to most of them was was very similar, startlingly similar. Um, and that was not something I expected. I think when I 
originally was thinking about this, you know, at the time of go, applying to South by expecting kind of a, a positive story about women and their accomplishments. And there was so much media attention about women and, and them uprising. And I just felt like some of that wasn't true. Um, there's a lot of articles about women rising in cannabis, and I, I think there's some truth to it, but I think that a lot of those statistics are are off, um, mm-hmm. and they haven't fully been fleshed out, and I, I think that they're misleading because, yeah, there's there's a lot of women in the space, but as the industry matures, we're seeing the same thing happen in this space that we've seen happen in other fields like technology. So right. that was... Um, that was another, you know, fire under both Lauren and I as we were putting this together and starting to get really tired towards the end. Like these stories need to be told because it's not just about inspiring other women. It's also about protecting them from mistakes that, you know, these veteran pioneer women made. And I was right. so away by their willingness to share, um, especially, you know, failure is a really tough thing to, to face. And some of these women admitted, you know, on their own that they lost their businesses by not being as protected as they wish they they were now looking back in hindsight. And that doesn't speak to their, their ability or their business competence. I think all of these women were very competent. Um, but they were also new to business and didn't, didn't understand or think through some of the contractual, you know, obligations and agreements they were signing. And so a lot of the advice that they share in the text um, is very tangible and really uh, important for other women to hear about. I mean, I I learned so much about protecting myself just interviewing them. Um, oh, definitely. I mean, the one of the recurring uh, themes is get your own personal attorney. And I would never have thought about that. And I read this and I heard their stories and what happened to them when they didn't have someone protecting their interest. And it's really scary. Yep. Yeah, that and that was that was one that I picked up on too. Where I, you know, I I own my own company. Do I need an attorney for my company and for myself? Well, the answer is eventually going to be yes, because as more people come into the business, I, you know, I need to be I need to be watching out for myself. And the attorney hired for your business is responsible for that. Um, so you you know when you say it out loud like that, it's so obvious, but it's a mistake I think anyone, men or women, could could make. It just seems that you know, men are, men are taught a lot of this far earlier than women are, it seems. And, you know, I, th- I think, I don't know, it, it was, it was very, it was very surprising. Um, that was the most surprising part of doing this project was the number of stories that were very, very similar um, from all of these ladies. Well, and I think that women are more trusting too. And we, and one theme that was also in this book is, which kind of backs that up is we, the sense of community, women like that sense of community. So if you're in your business, that's your community and you think you're protected and then your community turns on you and that's not what you expect when you have your own business. But there is, and I'm paraphrasing this and I loved this quote out of the book. It said, cannabis is about the strength of women and their love of community. And that's really what comes across in this book. That is, it's such a great statement for this book. It's all these women. And, and it was really nice too, because a lot of them knew each other and they both, they all spoke highly of each other and, and they all talked about community and they all talked about mentors and how important it is to be a mentor and to have mentors. 
And I thought that that was a, a really great message for women um, because we don't necessarily think that, but we do need to be a mentor and have mentors. And I know you have a mentor. You mentioned Alex in your book. Yeah, Alex. Um, Alex is a, a longtime personal friend. He's been an amazing, amazing person to to go to. I also, I, it's as cheesy as it sounds. My mom has been um, <laughs> hugely important because my mom actually owned her own business, and uh, we did very different things. And the companies are different sizes and different goals. But I learned a lot from her growing up. I mean, she definitely conned my brother and I into like free labor as children, and we laugh about that now, but. She's, um, she's been just an amazing, you know, role model in terms of, you know, keeping your cool and, and building a company when people probably don't expect you to to do very well. Um, in the space, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different women that have shepherded me through, if, if that's the right wording, different, different scenarios, different challenges. It's incredibly comforting to me. And this sounds kind of bad when you say it, but when you're talking about something you're going through and there's someone that can really say, I, I know what you're talking about and I know how you feel because I've also been there. Obviously I wouldn't wish bad things on other people, but there is solidarity in knowing that what you're going through in business, especially in this space, um, someone else has done that already. And right. I think sometimes as women, we, we can be, we can be martyrs more than we need to be. And we, we try to absorb a lot and we try to, you know, help other people, but we really need to be comfortable sharing our concerns, sharing the things that were that are frustrating us, um, reaching out for help. It's not a sign of weakness. And I know I remember Wanda saying that in the book too, that if she's navigating some regulatory challenge for her dispensary, she just calls another woman who owns a dispensary. Right. And you know, and that's I, I'm sure there's people that are like, well wait, they're competitors, but her thinking is, yeah, I guess we are, but like we sincerely want to see each other here. Succeed, right? Right. I mean, they've a lot of these women had been in it for a while, and I think they truly wanted to be at the end of this industry, whatever that looks like, still across from some of the women that were there in the beginning. And to get there, you know, we have to look out for one another. And um, I think you know some women really appreciate that, and and really. Um, orient the way they, they work in the space around that thinking. Some women I've found can become uh, competitive. And I think that's because there's, you know, historically so few seats at the table. So to right. Speak. right. Sometimes we're not that inclined to help others, but I think that's a really, you know, that's a mistake. That it women definitely is a mistake because it goes against you. And I think that that was another theme in this book was that they all talked about that. I know that Jamie Lee also did. She was like, look, I, I welcome competition and competition helps each one of us grow. And I think that that was another wonderful theme. I mean, this book is filled with so many great themes and I could talk to you for hours about this. I really want to encourage our listeners to go purchase this book. Um, if you're a male in this space, you should read it because there's some really inspiring stories, but buy it for your female friends, because this is a book that any woman that is going to be in the industry, that is in the industry, they need to read because it's inspirational and it gives so much great advice like we talked about. So Ashley, thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing so much. And we definitely have to have you back because there's a lot more to talk about. And I know that you have a second book in the works. And so we will hopefully have you on to talk about that too. 
Yeah, I would absolutely love that. Thank you so much for all the kind words. And yeah, as always, reach out, reach out anytime. I'm an open book to you, of course, and to any listeners that have questions. So thanks. Well, and I can back that up because when we met, I was a little bit nervous. You know, you just never know. And you were just so warm and welcoming. So you definitely walk your talk. And I appreciate that. So thank you so much, Ashley. Thank you. And good luck with everything. Thanks so much. Next, we have Wendy Borman. Wendy Borman, MST, is a multi-award winning film director and producer, as well as the founder of DVA Productions. Her recent projects include directing and producing the 10-time award-winning film The Eyes of Thailand, narrated by Ashley Judd, and producing the big picture Rethinking Dyslexia, which premiered at Sundance and on HBO. Other credits include producing performances for Dr. Maya Angelou and Margaret Cho, directing the Vagina Monologues, and writing for TakePart.com and IndieWire, Women in Hollywood. What inspired the creation of Mary Jane's film, The Women of Weed, and what is it? So in 2014, I moved to Colorado, and I was never a cannabis user. But I couldn't ignore hearing all these stories of women having success in the industry. What finally made me pick up the camera and start talking to people, though, was a statistic in 2015 that said um, 36% of senior leadership in the cannabis industry was women. And when you compare that to the national average of 22% at the time, there was something about female leadership that was um, attractive to women um, in the cannabis industry, right? There was some reason that they were leaving other career fields and coming to start businesses. So at that point, I was curious enough. So I started interviewing people over the phone. Well, by talking to over 100 people, I realized that not only was cannabis a uh, source for gender parity, you also had the opportunity to talk about social justice Mm -hmm. and environmental sustainability. So at that point, those three core values were present in all my other projects that I've done. So even if I didn't understand cannabis, I felt I could help tell the story of women who were building corporate Mm -hmm. responsibility into this new industry. So we started filming in 2016, and uh, the fall of 2017 was when Mary Jane's The Women of Weed came out on the film festival circuit. Wow. Um, So I I know I've seen it around, floating around, that you, you do have the possibility for someone to host a screening of the film. So how does someone do that? If they want to. Yeah, we're we're thrilled to announce that we have partnered with a company called Tug Mm -hmm. and they allow people to sign up and host screenings. So in the United States, there's two options. People can either crowdfund a theater screening at the local movie theater by pre-selling a minimum amount of tickets um, that the local movie theater sets as the threshold. Mm Um, or people can, you know, purchase a license of the film and they can screen it at a school, a university, a community center, a church, you know, anywhere at their choosing. So we felt that was really important leading up to the midterm elections Mm -hmm. to allow communities to have conversations they need to have around cannabis and legalization and social equity and, you know, all these other things. So we're actually holding a wider release of the film until 2019 so we can empower the local communities to screen the film and have the conversations they need to have. That's amazing. 
I love that. Yeah. So at, it's really easy if people want to sign up and host a screening. They just go to our website. It's called maryjanesfilm.com, and you hit the host a screening button. Awesome. I want to do one. That's for sure. So I'm going to. Yeah. I think it would be wonderful if you I did. I really want to. Uh, so what are some of the most surprising reactions to the film? Um, have you experienced any pushback of any kind? Well, I think it was actually more difficult to make the film than it has been to release mm-hmm. the film. You know, um, some of the pushback I heard early on was from investors mm-hmm. or, I mean, even female investors who were like, why make a movie about women? I'm like, you're a woman. You, shouldn't you get this already? <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, right? Like, women's stories are important. I'm not seeing the disconnect. And that's why we're in the situation um, so, we're in, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, but remember, this was 2016. This was before the Me Too movement. You know, this was before these larger conversations about women's voices in business and communities and leadership and things like that. So how sad is that though, that we're like doing 2016 it's like before 20, you know, before the me too movement, but it's still 2016. <laughs> we should, yeah, we should have been more evolved than we were. Right. right? Um, but you know, being, being that as it, as it was, I mean, that was one challenge I had um, just to justify that making this film was important. Um, you know, and then I also had some people who broke up with me on LinkedIn. <laughs> they didn't want to be associated with somebody making a film about cannabis. And that's been really funny because some of them have now tried to come back right. <laughs> and be like, oh, wait, now that cannabis is right. cool, like, I want to be associated with you again. It's like, yeah. um, now no thanks. <laughs> True colors. Yeah, like all about it. Mm-hmm. I know about that life. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of amazing. So, I mean, that, I, in some ways, I feel like the damage was, was done early. Um, So now that the film is out and, you know, we're winning awards at film festivals and we now have a distribution deal and, you know, the media has responded positively in terms of film reviews and things like that. Um, it, it's been easier to help tell the story. I, I think the biggest challenge now, though, is, you know, since the film came out, we've heard that female leadership in the cannabis industry has dipped down to 27%. Yeah. And that's not far mm-hmm. from the national average. So this brings up bigger conversations about what is it going to take to keep female leaders in an industry. And at that point, we end up talking about mm-hmm. funding and mentorship, you know, and those are across the board challenges of female entrepreneurs. So if we can fix those two things, you know, then this new burgeoning industry could be a model mm-hmm. for other industries. Absolutely. And I'm starting to finally see, you know, some specific um, investor, geared, you know, calls for women entrepreneurship and things like that. So I think we're hopefully turning a good corner here going in the right direction yeah i hope i hope so too i mean i'm inspired to see things like um you know cannabis accelerators or equity programs that are focused on getting women and people of color access to you know here's how to write a business plan here's how to pitch to investors here you know these basic skills that 
you know, if you didn't have access to go to Yale or Harvard and get an MBA, you know, you may not run in these these circles. So if we can fix that gap um, and educate people with the skills that they need to make that leap from, you know, I, a community activist to getting legislation passed in your state to now I can, mm-hmm. can run a business, um, then we're set up well to fix a lot of the problems that we've talked about, you know, gender parity, social justice, um, the environment, you know, making sure that we're educating people, um, senior citizens down to children and medical professionals and everybody here about how, mm-hmm. here's how the plant works. Absolutely. Um, so how, what does it mean to be a puffergate and how can someone become one? And did I pronounce that correctly? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, puffergate is like, like it's like wrong. a suffragette. Yes. It's, <laughs> that's okay. Puffer, wait, did I say I don't know what's in my jet. brain. It's like yes. not letting me do that properly. Anyway, <laughs> continue, please. Continue. Well, so we define a jet as somebody who it, it's a woman or a man who is building gender parity, social justice, and environmental sustainability into the cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of other catchy words and hashtags and stuff like that floating around in social media to just talk about, you know, bringing these things together. Um, But, you know, even the title of the film, Mary Jane's Women of Weed, you know, we just didn't feel like that encompassed everything that we were trying to talk about. So we actually made up a word. So we combined pot, plus suffragette to be a puffragette mm-hmm. and you don't have to puff to be a puffragette <laughs> you you can work for all of these things without consuming cannabis at all mm-hmm. so it's we try to make it as inclusive as possible that's right because you didn't even right before the film yeah I had never tried it um previous to the film you know and it was interesting in editing the film together uh we showed a rough cut to some friends and they were like, Wendy, if you start out as this big skeptic about cannabis, we think you need to try it in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually did. Um, And that's, you know, one of the the last scenes in the film. And it was actually a a really wonderful opportunity. You know, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody. um, But what I tried to do was um, listen to the experiences that other women had had, you know, and some of them, it wasn't a very consensual, positive experience the first time they had cannabis. Maybe something was shoved in their hand at a party or a male bought it. And there was some peer pressure at the, you know, associated with the, the group if we're doing it. And I just wanted to flip that script. So I, decided what kind of experience I wanted. I went to a female-owned, minority-owned dispensary. I explained what I wanted. I was coached through the options. I selected what what I wanted, and then I took it over to a friend's house, and I had a group of women I called my cannabis fairy godmothers Mm -hmm. who, you know, walked me through the process of here's how to combine things to make sure you have a positive experience, and here's how to pace things out, you know, the start low, go slow kind of Mm -hmm. model. So um, 
I, I had a wonderful That's experience. Awesome. I like to hear that. Um, so in what ways can this film change the perception of women in cannabis, do you think? Well, I think the first goal of the film is to just show that women are involved in this industry, you know, at all levels of it and in all segments. You know, initially some people might go, oh, it's, you know, the compassionate side of women that makes them want to be attracted to the healing side of cannabis. You know, and that's true. Um, that said, we're also the legalization activists. We're the business owners because we're creating products that we know are going to fit into our lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. Women know what women want. Surprise! <laughs> Let us build products so we can do that. Um, you know, we're also owning the testing labs to make sure that what is grown is safe, mm -hmm. you know, so that patients and consumers know what they're ingesting. You know, that's really important. If you ha are treating a specific illness or ailment, you need to make sure you've got a consistent product, right? So we're doing things like that. Um, women are growing it in the fields and harvesting it, you know, so we just tried to show a really broad cross section of the different types of women who are involved in cannabis at, you know, at every stage of the process. Um, and I think the other goal of the film is to really encourage people to have the conversations or ask the silly questions that they're afraid to ask, right? My job on camera was to be the skeptic. And that was natural for me, right? I had never tried cannabis and I am a product of the D.A.R.E. generation. So I was told it was a gateway drug, right? So I had really absorbed that propaganda and it took a while to shake off. So by seeing people go through that, you know, and ask the silly questions, I think the audience ends up rooting for me in some ways, because they're like, oh, I have that question too. Okay. And then she answers it. And then I learned something. And, you know, by the end of the film, um, some of the stigma has gone away. And what's been really amazing is to go to film screenings. And then afterwards, people are coming up to me going, I'm finally going to take my mom into a dispensary to get something to treat her arthritis. Wow. Or I'm finally going to have a conversation with this person in my family about how they can use cannabis instead of all these opioids mm -hmm. or, you know, like I'm finally ready to see how it can fit into my own lifestyle instead of, you know, a couple of glasses of wine to de-stress at the end of the day. And it, that's been really wonderful to see how just an 85 minute movie presented in a specific way can be this invitation mm -hmm. for people to have these conversations. Absolutely. It, it serves for like a big icebreaker of sorts. And like anybody can talk about it to anyone else, I think. When you have something like a tool like yeah. this, you know, any documentary where you see someone who's kind of a skeptic or is a, is very much a skeptic, you know, like Jack Hare was, he, his documentary, I think, can really, you know, things like that, like we have in our arsenal, it's the more that we have it. But I think yours is so much more important because it's all about the women in the industry. Um <laughs> And we have, and we make the health and wellness decisions usually in our families, right? Mm -hmm. So if we want the cannabis industry to grow, convincing women that here's a safe way to bring it into your household or bring it into your lifestyle, you know, that's not threatening. Mm -hmm. um, 
women are able to have those conversations with each other Absolutely. in a different way, right? So the the power of that sisterhood and um, communication, mm-hmm. you know, it, we just build trust in, in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I think it helps that I was a skeptic yeah. in some ways because that invites the people who were also skeptical about it. Absolutely. You know, you don't already have to believe that cannabis is a good thing in order to get something out of this movie. Whereas I think other cannabis films in the past have been like, you already have to be part of our group. Right, right, right. <laughs> so. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so how did you get pioneers like Melissa Etheridge and Shailene Title, who we love here in the podcast, um, by the way, <laughs> involved with the project? Um, you have some big, big names in this, in this film. So how did that? Yeah, we were, we were thrilled to be able to attract just the caliber mm-hmm. of the women in the film um, that we did. And the amazing thing was how generous people were. Mm-hmm. You know, I started just asking the people that I knew like about cannabis and people were so forthcoming and with the information they had. And everybody was like, I'm going to introduce you to this person and this person and this person. And they were really just very comfortable um, with sharing that. And that's not typical in a lot of industries, right? right? You know, there is, wasn't necessarily this, I'm not going to open my Rolodex for you. (laughs) You know, they were like, please help tell the, tell our story. Let me connect you with people who can do this. Um, And so that was a a wonderful, you know, first touch point on the cannabis industry. So I really just, you know, worked through lists of people. Um, and after speaking to over 100, we, you know, quote unquote, narrowed it down to 40 who we interviewed and included in the film. Um, and Shailene title is a wonderful example of, you know, someone who started out as a student Mm -hmm. activist, right? She was in SSDP students for sensible drug policy and we followed her journey, um, writing the legislation that people voted on and ultimately passed in mm-hmm. Massachusetts. And it's been thri- thrilling to see that she's still holding people's feet to the fire while they're trying to roll out um, the, the equity programs and, and, you know, the legalization of cannabis in Massachusetts. Yeah. She's, it's been phenomenal to see yeah. her do that. So, um that that was exciting and uh Melissa Etheridge you know was really involved in women grow she was a keynote speaker for mm-hmm. them in 2016 and that was actually our first film shoot so we, I just had stayed in touch with her publicist cuz we weren't able to catch her while mm-hmm. she was at the summit um but finally by the end of the year you know they were able to let us join her on tour and they were like well if you can get to um what was it st louis (laughs) in december (laughs) you know we'll get you an hour (laughs) i was like okay (laughs) grabbed a camera operator hopped on a plane flew out there and you know we filmed in a hotel room and the behind the scenes photos were hysterical because we had to like prop a bed up against a wall and like move all this stuff around to make it look like, you know, a legitimate interview location. Um, but it was great. And then we got to, you know, film her at a rehearsal and walking on stage and yeah, it was, that was 
important because she has been a activist for the LGBTQ community for years and very outspoken about that. And then when she came out about her own cannabis journey in tr treating her cancer diagnosis, like I felt like if we can get a story like that in the film, that also creates another intersectional moment for us where we can talk about you know, just the history of activism in this country and what does it take to come out of the green closet, yeah. you know, from a woman who's had to come out of the closet about her own sexuality. Absolutely. That's amazing. I love that intersection. I mean, I think it's amazing and it's all inclusive and, and that's what we need to be in this industry. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Do you have a specific call to action or anything to promote the film? Well, the biggest thing that we hope that the film allows people to do is to have the conversations they need to have in their community. You know, there the great thing is there are so many different organizations who are working on different parts of the cannabis industry, whether it's trying to get, you know, signatures collected so a ballot measure makes it on the ballot to fixing the laws <laughs> Um, once they were implemented to, you know, making sure we have access to funding and mentorship for all people to be in the industry. So uh, we want the film to be able to help communities have those conversations. So one way we're doing that is allowing different communities to screen the film. So hosting a screening is the easiest way to get involved so people can go to maryjanesfilm.com and click the host a screening button to sign up to host. Mm -hmm. um, the other call to action we have is really just focusing on entrepreneurship and leadership mm -hmm. opportunities for women and people of color in the industry. You know, we've passed these laws state by state. And so we kind of have this piecemeal effect of, well, here's how it works in this state. And then state next door does it slightly differently. Right. But there's some consistent themes in if we're going to pass cannabis legalization to make sure we're not just locking up black and brown people for simple drug possession, we need to then level the playing field. Right. And, and, expunge criminal records and then give people an opportunity to become business owners in this industry. Um, give them the tools and the access to funding so they can do this, right? And if women are out there on the front lines, you know, advocating for patients and trying to get signatures collected and, you know, the get all the get out the vote stuff that women do, if then we're also not given the access to the funding and the mentorship to succeed as business owners as we transition from a movement into an industry, we're also not upholding what we voted for, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're trying to fix these big social issues um, and some of the cr big criminal injustices in this country, we need to make sure we've built corporate responsibility into the industry. And I see the women and the people of color doing that. And so anytime we can elevate their stories um, just to show the options for other people, we can attract more leadership, right? Gina Davis says, if we can see it, we can be it. 
And I really believe that. So if we can show the audience, oh, this is somebody who looks like me, or they have a similar background, or they grew up in that neighborhood too, like maybe there's room for me here. I mean, just showing that is so powerful. And especially for women in STEM careers, you know, just showing a woman in a lab coat testing cannabis products to make sure they're safe for people can be, you know, career affirming for a woman to go, see, that's why I want to be a science major when I go to college. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think there's so many different elements to this plant that people can, uh, can prosper off of, you know, not not necessarily financially, but, you Mm -hmm. know, I think there's so much out there and I think that's really important. Um, that we emphasize that as much as possible. Yeah, and and there really is room for everybody, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I think there is, I, and I, I mean, can't. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just, I was just gonna say, you know, whatever skills people have outside of the cannabis industry, there's room for that in the cannabis industry. You know, yes. if there's the saying of, you know, you add in bed to the end of a fortune cookie. Yeah. <laughs> fortune sometimes you can just add in cannabis right you're an event planner you're now an event planner in cannabis you know you're an operations manager you're now an operations manager in cannabis yeah i think you run a lab that's a really good analogy uh or way to think of it um my words aren't working today anyway um (laughs) i know i keep using it as an excuse but i have a newborn so my brain is a little bit frazzled and if i forget words and how they're they're working just yeah. forgive me um anyway <laughs> don't worry about it <laughs> but yeah that's so true because i think that's how this industry is so unique and i think that that adding that in bed thing which i completely forgot about until you just reminded me um <laughs> which i always used to do too like in middle school and why not yeah. why not do yeah. it now and that could really change people's lives if they just did that i think um I think a lot of people are like, well, I don't really know about, you know, this or that. And it's like, oh, there's so much to learn. There's so, we're all learning every day, I think. And that's another exciting element of this industry. It's like we're always learning. There's space for everybody. Mm-hmm. It all translates. It mm-hmm. pretty much all translates into this, I think. I mean, I, I can't think of one thing I haven't seen a translation to yet, you know? Yeah. I'm, I mean, I think the biggest thing that holds women back um is a lot of times we're we wait to be invited Mm -hmm. to join something right Mm -hmm. i've never seen a man going oh wait i don't know if they're gonna like me maybe i should wait (laughs) they just like bulldoze through (laughs) whether it's a conversation or a business plan whatever it is they just find a way to insert themselves right um and I, f- I feel like in a lot of ways, you know, women just need to stop asking for permission and just start. So I get that we have a lot of other risks that are unfair to, for our gender, you know, because uh, a lot of times um, women are dealing with, you know, childcare issues. So if you come out about cannabis, there's a threat that child protection services are going to be called on you. Or maybe if you live in low income housing or you're a renter, like you could get kicked out of your home (laughs) or you're, you know, terminate your lease early. Um, You could lose your job. You know, there are all these other risks that affect women that don't necessarily affect men in the same ways. Um, So I understand that. And I think if we, as a 
gender wait on the sidelines to be invited to join cannabis, we're going to miss our opportunity. Yeah, you're right. So we need to somehow find a way that we can not compartmentalize the risk, but like bring it down to a tolerable level for ourselves, right? So if you're risk averse, don't touch the plant. You know, there are all kinds of other things that you could do in the industry. You know, like you could just focus on the event planning or the marketing or, you know, like any of these other things where you don't even have to talk, say the word cannabis necessarily. Right. Um, but that could be an, a, a way to get your foot in the door. And the, and the more we talk about it, even with all these risks that are out there, I think that we normalize it to a point where those risks are lowered eventually. Because then people start mm-hmm. to demand that it, it be that right. way. Um, and if we keep doing all these things in secret, then there's no chance of that happening, I think. so. Right. I mean, it needs to get to the point where cannabis has lost the stigma and it's treated like anything else. I mean, people don't lose their jobs because they have a glass of wine right. at, at night. Or because they're on antidepressants, mm-hmm. you know, like we need to stop thinking of cannabis as something other, like this scary other thing that we don't understand. Absolutely. Uh, well, it was a pleasure talking to you today, and I cannot wait to uh, host a screening and see this film um, because I've been so excited about it for so long, <laughs> oh. and I've been such a big fan of all the work that you're doing. Um, and we'd love to have you back anytime to talk about it some more. Thank you. Okay. We'll definitely be in touch. And I really appreciate chatting with you. Thanks for listening to Your Highness Podcast. If you would like to be featured in a future episode or would like to inquire about possible sponsorship, email yourhighnesspodcast at gmail.com. That's yourhighnesspodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at highnesspodcast. That's at highnesspodcast. Thanks again.